Innovation was abundant at IBC 2023 with new AI-powered solutions delivering instant speaker fact checks, regionally optimized movie marketing, and personalized highlight meals. Listen on to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News. And that was Colin Dixon there at the top. You, uh, Colin, you have finished at IBC. You're now in England. We're going to catch up today on some of your key IBC takeaways. Yeah, it was a great show, Will. About 43,000, they said, attended the show, which is much more like pre-pandemic levels. I can tell you there was a lot of energy, a lot of discussion, and I was really delighted to find a lot of tech innovation there, some of which we're going to talk about this morning and a lot about AI. So that was a big theme throughout the show, and that's going to show up definitely in some of the tech innovation that I talk about. Very cool. And I think we have a couple of news items to get us started before you get into your IBC takeaways. And I think that you are going first. I am. And one of the things that I, I think is has been quite surprising and has been a continuing theme is the evolution of how smart TV manufacturers view themselves in the market world. And we see a brilliant illustration of that this week with LG and what the company is really shifting to become is they want to be quote a media and entertainment platform company. Now this is huge for some uh, for a company as big as LG and an electronics manufacturer as big as LG but they seem to really think that they have a shot at it and pivotal to this is WebOS. Now they acquired WebOS it was actually a derivative of the old Palm organization if people remember the Palm PDA. I love that thing my goodness. (laughs) uh, Now WebOS is part of LG and it's the thing that is powering the LG smart TVs. Uh, started doing so in 2014. Now, the company says that there are about 200 million LG TVs worldwide, with, uh, and Web, WebOS is also being used by a couple of TV brands. Uh, not, not a huge number, but they have big plans. They think that it's going to be adopted by a lot more, and they want to pivot so that within three years, LG expects to have about 300 million WebOS powered devices. So this really gives the company, uh, well, it sort of encourages the company to believe that it can be an entertainment media platform. After all, the smart TV interface is absolutely critical for that. And he he says, uh, this is uh, Park Hyung-sae, who's president of the LG Home Home Entertainment Company. Uh, He said that LG is poised to transform into a media and entertainment platform company that delivers distinctive content and services that will enhance the lives of its customers. And uh, WebOS comes with uh, LG channels, which is its fast platform. And of course, all of the major SVOD services pretty much throughout the world are now ported to WebOS. So it sounds like where well, we have another company that really likes the opportunity for particularly for advertising 
in its smart televisions and is pivoting more towards it. The big question for me in all of this with any company, any, any electronics manufacturer, is are they willing to put that business ahead of their traditional electronics business? And they somewhat have to because, you know, uh, th this means more powerful processors, more memory, which increases the cost of the televisions at a time when television margins are wafer thin. So anyway, interesting move by LG. That'd be very interesting to see how they're able to reposition themselves to be a, quote, media entertainment platform company. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think it is an intriguing move. I think it's probably a smart move also. Companies across the landscape have recognized that the integration of so-called software and hardware into an ecosystem has been a winning play. Software here, in this case, meaning more services and content commerce, as uh, we've seen from others. And so essentially LG is, I think, you know, pursuing the right path here. I think it's the way that most manufacturers are going to be going. And so I'm not hugely surprised. And to your point, though, it'll remain to be seen how they invest on the hardware side in order to enable the types of services that they'll they'll be wanting to host. That's right. I mean, they really do have to take hard decisions, Will. I mean, the truth is that people want to keep TVs for seven to eight years, and LG has not shown willing to support televisions in the market seven to eight years with their smart TV operating system. So that's what it's going to take. They're going to have to do that and we'll see if they're really willing to do it. But, but anyway, what, uh, what caught your eye this week? Yeah. So we've, um, we have talked about this a couple of times, the, uh, um, plans by max to add a sports tier to its service, um, an incremental sports tier. And, We've been waiting for some details on that, and we finally got them this week. And uh, indeed, they're going to launch a um, tier that they're calling Bleacher Sports, Bleacher Report Sports. Uh, it's going to be a $10 a month tier. It's going to, uh, it looks like, uh, without them having gotten into a, a huge amount of details, it's going to carry uh, sports programming that's been on TNT and TBS. So that would include MLB. It would include uh, and, uh, NBA games. It would also include some NCAA uh, college basketball, uh, also March Madness, some NHL games, possibly some international content like uh, cycling events. And it'll be available. You know, it's primarily targeted to young people who are uh, core cutters or cord nevers and I think is a way for uh, Warner Brothers to try to increase its return on the huge investments that it's made in uh, sports rights and you know I think in that vein it's probably a smart play there's not I don't think there's a lot to be lost here by adding this tier into uh, into max making it available some of the sports are marquee sports. Uh, I know as we get into the conversation, you're going to, there's a question about whether the quantity is sufficient to drive a, a $10 a month subscription. That's an open question. Uh, but I think it's the right call by them to uh, make these sports available because if you're, again, not subscribing to a pay TV package, you don't have any access to these sports at all. And so here's the way for them to essentially leverage the 
subscriber base that they've built for Max to uh, generate some incremental uh, subscribers and some incremental monetization for the from the sports rights. Right, and so I'm I'm sort of conflicted. I understand why they are charging. Uh, they're charging ten dollars a month for this as an add-on. But if you think about it, Will, uh, for the passionate sports fan, it's probably something that they're going to have to have. Uh, you know, somebody that likes MLB, NHL, NBA, and other sports, you know, a real sports fan is going to want this service. But for somebody that just wants one of those or occasionally wants to, to watch a game and is not a Mac subscriber, there's no way they're going to sign up for this, right? Because they're going to have to have, they're going to have to sign up for Max first at $15. And then they're going to have to sign up for the sports package at $10 for $25. And subscribing to that for any length of time, it gets really kind of expensive. So I wonder if they can really build a substantial footprint of sports subscribers through the apps. It sounds to me like the way it's priced, particularly if you're not a max subscriber, it's kind of on the upper end of expensive. And... Any, anybody that isn't a hard and fast sports fan is probably going to bulk at spending $25 a month for the sports package here. That said, I, I mean, I totally understand how they're trying to monetize the, the sports rights that they have. Uh, that said, I think $9.99 on top of $15 is still kind of expensive in the market right now, particularly when you know, their their peers, people like Peacock and Paramount are including their sports rights, uh, their sports programming in those platforms. Uh, and I should note, J.B. Perrette thinks that they're making a mistake. I'm not sure that they are. I think they're building a, a mass appeal for their platforms and looking to get in most homes with those platforms, providing some sports and you know, general entertainment services. So we'll have to see which approach works the best, Will. Yeah, I agree. And I, I guess I would add to that that the, um, you know, I would think that the vast majority of subscribers to the Bleacher Report add-on tier will already be max subscribers, uh, you know, for the point that you made. It's it's a pretty big bite to start up a $25, $26 a month subscription uh, service Um Primarily to get this, you know, access to the sports. So, so I, you know, I think they'll probably be fishing in the max waters, and you know, wait and see what the appeal is. I, I, you know, I, I think that, I think that everybody is under a lot of pressure to, you know, monetize sports rights as best possible. They're expensive to acquire, and as um, you know, the pay TV subscriber base declines streaming is is where the monetization is going to be so that's what they're going to hope to do yeah this this slicing and dicing of rights uh, will this is for the app for a real sports fan this is just a royal pain uh, i really have sympathy for them right now and i got a feeling that things will shake out eventually and it will get a bit easier but right now boy it's really tough if you want to watch a lot of sports they're all over the place Yep, that's true. Well, let's uh, let's transition to your key IBC takeaways. There were a few companies that you saw that you thought were really interesting. Go for it. Yeah, and I mentioned that 
that several of them are related to AI. And the first one I want to talk about is a company called Newsbridge. And their business is they have this platform called MXT1, which is targeted at news organizations. And they've been using AI to index, quickly index clips to make them more searchable and, you know, make that content more available. And so I talked with Frederick Pettipont, who's CTO of Newsbridge at the show. And he had, he showed me a pretty amazing demo, Will. He showed me a clip, and I think it was probably from a UN session, uh, a video clip, a news video clip. And the, the people, there were three speakers and they were each speaking a different language. And the, the system, the MXT1, using the AI, it did four things that really made it pretty, pretty easy to search. The first thing it did was it identified the speaker using facial, facial recognition. Then it can tell which speaker is speaking when by watching the lips as they move. It can identify the language that the speaker is speaking and accurately convert it to text. And finally, it can translate that to English. So it's pretty amazing watching this thing capture Arabic and, you know, Ukrainian and a whole bunch of different languages all at once and then translate it. But the final piece that which gets us into generative AI territory is it was able to generate a synopsis of what was said by the speakers in a pretty concise paragraph or two. So, you know, all of this is great, right? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting and certainly very useful to newsrooms. But what's really powerful here, Will, is we're using this system. Everything anybody says in the public sphere that is recorded is broadcast can be captured by this system and instantly searched. And so I was thinking about this from the point of view of the election season. We've got a presidential election coming up in the United States in 2024. And if we have this, if newsrooms have this system in place, they can instantly check if somebody said something different to what they're saying, you know, at that time on screen. And so it really gives a lot. It stops politicians being able to say, I never said that because <laughs> this MXT can check it instantly. Not, not only check it, Will, it can retrieve a video with the person saying the opposite. It, it's just so powerful. Interesting. So it's like a um, it's like an instantaneous fact checking machine. You bet. You bet. And. Boy, could we do with something like that? <laughs> I think that would <laughs> that would certainly change the tenor of debates and discussions, wouldn't it? It'd be funny to have that available during a debate, so the moderator could, you know, instantly call up a quote that contradicted what was just said on the stage, and then have the politician have to reply to that. Right, right. I mean, I think that would be. Wouldn't that be a public service? <laughs> I think that would be really useful. <laughs> Very embarrassing for the politicians. Yeah. Okay, so the next thing I want to mention uh, actually came from Wild Mocha, which is owned by Backlight. 
so Wild, Wild Mocha helps uh, live news and sports services clip, edit and restream their best moments in social media to, to websites. And, uh, you know, the platform's being used by quite a lot of quite a lot of newsrooms already. I think um, I was talking to Ed Lezinski, who's co-CEO of Backlight Streaming, and he told me that they were delivering, they delivered 3.7 million clips last year, 125,000 highlight reels and summaries. That's a lot, right? That's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But they're, they're also using AI to understand what's going on in the video. So I, I really like this because they were working with the International Biathlon Union just recently. And these biath- biathlons include a whole bunch of competitors from different countries. And what they were able to do, Will, pretty much in real time, was capture the participant by recognizing who the participant was. Obviously, you know their country. They're also able to recognize key plays and key moments in the action. And they were able to compile from that a final storyboard using Gen AI that that really gives a story around a particular country. So rather than, you know, just having a generic broadcast that is following all of the action, this thing can provide a story for every country of how their athlete did. And I just thought this this sounds like such a useful and interesting application of AI to really allow an individual country to get a pretty their unique view on the event that they're watching. So I loved that. I thought it was a great application of AI and really provided something pretty useful. And and by the way, a great way of helping to uh, additionally monetize a sport. So the idea is the Olympics, uh, for example, attracts all these athletes from all over the world, lots of different sports. Uh, this would allow for each athlete to have their own highlight reel and own, uh, you know, customized uh, video uh, that could be then uh, made available to their um, to their fans in their home countries. Exactly right. Uh, yeah. You know, as I say, I think this is a pretty interesting, pretty interesting yeah. product, which I think we're going to see a lot of use of in, yeah. you know, in, in the coming years. Yeah, totally. I get it. I think that makes a ton of sense. There's so much of these big um, events that are not really covered, should be, but it's expensive to do so. So having tools like this would make it feasible. And that really is the thing that came home to me, Will. I I don't feel like the the applications that I saw that seemed to be the most interesting and seemed to be the most real, the ones that really did seem to be able to be implemented now, I didn't feel like they were encroaching or or causing any editors or any current employees to be fired because they're they've not got a job anymore. I think they're doing things that couldn't be done before which really enable a, additional monetization of the assets which couldn't be really done under you know with standard techniques and standard approaches just because there isn't the scale so these are the areas that i thought seemed to stand out to me as being the most interesting and also the most real so i'm i'm left left the show quite hopeful 
Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, there's one other that really caught my eye from Catch Data. And uh, Catch Data is a really interesting company. Um, they do, quote, genomic classification of media. And Dr. Nolan Gasser, he's the architect, he's the former architect of Pandora's uh, Music Genome Project. He is the, is the key technical brains behind this uh, Catch Data company. And what it does is it really combines AI with, I think, an intensely human approach. They, uh, they basically, they trained up a large group of film students to be able to classify movies by many, many different categories. And, you know, quite esoteric categories like stories of self-discovery and a coming-of-age story or sophisticated filming and editing. Those, you know, sort of less tangible uh, aspects of movie making. And by tagging that way, it really allows you to search and discover content in a new way. But the most interesting thing for me wasn't the discovery aspects of this. It was the marketing aspects. I was talking to Andrew Tite, who's a Catch CEO, Catch Data CEO. And he talked to me about an example of the movie Knives Out, which they classified. Now, it turns out Knives Out was extremely popular in Israel and South Korea. But it seems to have been popular for two entirely different reasons. One is in Israel, apparently they were more attracted to the movie because of the intense family arguments. And anybody that's seen the film will absolutely know that that's the case. Uh, and the, with, the, with the Koreans, the thing that really connected with the Koreans was the sort of family's quest for reconciliation. And ultimately, the family does sort of come back together at the end of that movie. Uh, so, so those are two completely different aspects of the movie that appeared, appealed to different audiences, but which made that movie a success. So why does this matter to marketing? Well, if you know this in advance, then you would market this movie in two completely different ways, right? You'd make a trailer for Israel that really focused on the, on the conflicts and a trailer for South Korea that focused on the reconciliation aspects. If you mix those two up, the movie would fail in both countries. But, uh, <laughs> you know, by, by using this, these techniques and approaches, you have something that's a success in both regions. So I just, I thought this was a really interesting approach to classification and, and figuring out uh, how best to market a movie. That's cool. So once the movie is classified in all these different ways and it uh, becomes understood what resonates with particular local audiences, then the marketing can be customized by country or even I suppose, in theory, even by area within country, it doesn't even have to be a generic thing at the country level. So it takes, uh, as you say, marketing to a much more granular, granular level. It does indeed. And, you know, I suppose in, if you take it to its logical extreme, it can actually take marketing to the individual level. And we know that that's already happening. People are already using different uh, companies like Netflix are already picking the images that they show of a movie 
when you're browsing the guide, they pick them specifically for you from a range of images that are available. And they pick them by, based on which you think will best, which they think will best sell the idea of watching it to you. Uh, so now it sounds like you can expand this to uh, videos and, and marketing in that way. So pretty interesting. Very cool, Colin. So those are three key things from uh, IBC. Anything else that hit your radar that you want to mention quickly? Well, I think I just want to mention one more thing. And this is a personal beef of mine about greening of streaming. And one of the problems that we have in the industry is reducing our carbon footprint, I think, is important for, for everyone. We certainly need to do something, <laughs> certainly based on the weather that hit me when I got to England. I was caught in a torrential rain, which I have never seen before, which completely shut down the airport, I should say. So I think we really all need to be doing what we can to reduce our carbon footprint. And I spoke with Varnish Software while I was there. And Varnish is a founder member of the Greening for Streaming organization. And they pointed out that one of the problems is that you can't, if you're a purchaser of equipment, you can't really tell from the literature for a, a product how green it really is. I mean, m many services and many uh, products say that they are green, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to cut their carbon footprint, but you have no means of really comparing them. Well, Varnish is sort of thrown down the gauntlet and it's, it's rallying behind a particular measure, which is gigabits per second per watt. And that gives you a sort of measure of the efficiency of the server. It says it can do 1.17 gigabits per second per watt from one of its edge servers. And it's basically saying, okay, guys, anybody who's my competitor, start measuring this way and that way and reporting it and that way purchasers can now compare exactly how green our products are so anyway i just wanted to mention that and anybody who is producing streaming equipment let's see you let's see your gigabits per second per watt so that we can make informed decisions i like it colin i think that sounds fascinating and uh i guess the question is will that catch on i i don't know wilbur I certainly, I certainly hope so. As I say, the yeah, the, ter the torrential downpour I got, I got called in yesterday was pretty amazing for England, and I think those sorts of events are occurring all over the world. Yeah, yeah, no question. Uh, well, that's I think that's very intriguing. We're going to want to keep an eye on that, and uh, also keep an eye on all the other things that we talked about today. We covered a ton of ground, and sounds like you had a great trip to IBC. Learned a lot. Met with a bunch of people and saw some cool stuff i sure did and i haven't even scratched the surface i'll probably be writing more <laughs> about it in the coming week very good well colin thanks so much for sharing your updates your reports and takeaways and uh, i think that's it for today right it is indeed okay well thanks everyone for listening in and uh, we will see you again next week on inside the stream Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.